I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 200. 200. My God, who would have thought all that time ago when I was sat in the Brompton Cemetery with good old Dougie Fields for episode one, who has since passed on to that little gallery up in the sky, that four years later I'll be saying hello and welcome to episode 200. And I reckon I'm real close to getting the hang of this shit. Well, in that time, we've chatted to the good, the bad and the ugly. And you can decide <laughs> you can decide who's who. I was looking at some notes recently that I made just prior to starting the podcast. What I wanted it to be. like Sort of like my own little manifesto. And although I go into this more when I do my uh, end of the year rundown episode... But when I started, I wanted this podcast to be full of energy and enthusiasm and appeal to those that have just entered the art world, as well as those that have been in it all of their career. And I wanted the guests to reflect that. And if you've been listening to this podcast for some time, I'm sure that you'll agree that we've done that. I mean, we've had guests that have been in the art world for less than three months and are completely unknown. And on the flip side of that, We've had world-renowned artists that have been in this art world for 30, 40, 50 years. And from the feedback we've got from day one, I'm well aware that because we try not to make it feel like an interview for each guest and make it a more friendly, down-to-earth, humorous, well-informed, laid-back chat, I think it's that that makes the guest lower down their barriers, which almost gives them permission to let more of their personality through than than possibly they may have given otherwise. Well, that's my take on it anyway. 
yours might be different. As we mentioned weekly, this podcast would not be able to be produced if it wasn't for our Patreon supporters. They're the guys that enable this podcast to grow and go on for as long as it has. If you like what you hear and you want to support, then please go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a link tree drop-down box, and there you can follow the link to the Patreon page. And for as little as £3 a month, you can help keep this gibberish on the air. If you don't fancy doing that, that's absolutely fine. This podcast is free for everyone. Well, just now we were speaking of those artists that are unknown, established or world-renowned. Well, today, for episode 200, we have one that is very much world-renowned. We've only gone and got Jake Bloody Chapman. Along with his brother Dinos, they was known as Les Infants Terribles, or as you might like to call it, Les Infants Terribles. But however you want to say it, they very much wanted to step into the art world and, po- and poke a shitty stick at anyone wanting to look in. Very much evident in their grotesque and sexually explicit mannequins of children, as well as Adolf and his Nazis running hand in hand with Ronald McDonald. Their exhibition at the White Cube in 2002, which was entitled The Chapman Family Collection, was one of the best exhibitions I'd ever been to, and we talk about it in this podcast. And as you'll hear, this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this episode does start quite abruptly, because like a complete pudding, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't press record. We've been trying to get this episode going for about six months, and when I finally get Jake on here, Man, I forget to press the button. What a wally. I mean, you didn't miss too much, but what you did miss, and I think I touched on it later in the episode, both Jake and Dinos have been very vocal about their disdain of the Tory party. But there was a few recent events that crossed over both uh, Jake Chapman and the Tories that really tickled me. One being when when old Dominic Cummings got the boot out uh, out of number 10. He went walking away with a Jake and Dinos Chapman artwork under his arm. A few months ago, <laughs> Jake's one-man exhibition, the gallery, o- <laughs> the gallery owner invited David Cameron along, and Jake, <laughs> Jake had taken a photograph of the demon himself in front of one of his artworks. And, a f- and, t- and to top it off, a few days prior to uh, us recording this episode, Richie said, <laughs> Richie Sunak mentioned about um, one of Jake and Dinos's artworks was his favourite. You couldn't fucking make it up. And of course I'd take this opportunity to rub some salt in that very open wound. Oh, and my, my partner Jenny makes a subtle appearance in this podcast, which was recorded over Zoom, I should add. I think you'll notice when that was. And before I start, a, a quick shout out to Maeve Doyle, because Jake and I connected after I was guest on um, Maeve's Soho radio show, The Private View, Jake was listening. We mentioned him and Dinos, and, well, that's where the conversation started. So please, come and join me for episode 200 with Jake Chapman. I, I, got, I mean, the idea of avoiding the question of what art I do is not least because I'm sort of slightly embarrassed about being an artist, but getting into the conversation about the nitty-gritty of actually what it is is always a little bit... You know, I don't I don't really know how to say I, I've never found a really efficient way of actually going about saying because it, it starts off. Oh, Christ. OK, what what do you do? Oh, fuck. OK. Um, you know, I'm an artist. You know, 
what kind of art you know what what is it paintings sculptures and like paintings sculptures uh, prints you know the whole lot oh the whole lot what 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 is it of is it of sort of is it abstract no not abstract <laughs> at all. is it like figurative well not really figurative well some of it's really figurative i mean some yeah. of it's really figurative you know and it's like but you know what i, what I used to do because uh, i used to say i it's just sort of like think the way i'd be able to tell whether whether i can actually i should truncate the conversation and just say uh coil pots and flower arranging and fucking puff. <laughs> yeah. or i would say all right okay do, are we going to have this conversation i would say have you heard of dinos chapman <laughs> <laughs> i'm like him but because taller. Only because, only because it's a, it's a name you remember, wouldn't it? Someone that yeah. goes, I think it was Okay, right, I'm the other one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you just can't, I mean, that, that thing of sort of like, Christ, you know, they're, they're asked that, you know, they're asking if what, if you're, what you do and you say you're an artist, they're only being polite by asking. They don't, if they don't know about it, they don't fucking know about no. it. And there's no point really, that you're not going to start, you know, saying, saying stuff like, well, uh, uh, you know, Ronald McDonald being crucified. Yeah. Seen any of that? And they'd like they'd be like, uh oh, uh oh. Why have I asked this person this question? The other thing, I mean, I remember going through um uh American customs. Well, just work. refer them to Dominic Cummins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dominic could tell you. Yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm actually the uh, official Tory artist, uh, you know. It's like I mean it's like if you think about the work and stuff, it's like I remember someone saying to me. Yeah, they have some sort of, yeah, I don't know, you know, so saying, accusing me of being kind of connected to the alt right because of some daft, you know, and I'm like, have you seen the work? <laughs> yeah, it's got a swastika in it, but 30 years of the Nazis getting the shit kicked out of them, you know, yeah. and now I end up being fucking like totally patronized by the fucking Tory party. I mean, what's, you know, what are the chances? Anyway, yeah. And I, I do know the, uh, the answer to this question, but. Um, did you have creativity in the own growing up? Uh, I don't know. Really, I mean, the creativity, I, I sort of, yeah, yeah. I think my parents were sort of kind of, they had a, you know, they were sort of interested, but not really, not not really, you know, they had a kind of a clue about stuff. They were interested. They, they, they wanted us to read stuff, you know. They're sort of like failed fucking, you know, working class immigrant hippies that didn't really quite, you know, make the kind of leap between their back, their background, and yeah. become middle class. They became half middle class. They became. Can I just show you this? Look, there's yeah. my there's my wife. She's sneaking. She's sneaking in here. <laughs> she's sneaking in. She's <laughs> trying to sneak into the bedroom unnoticed. She's gone. She's trying to sneak I'll into the bedroom okay. unnoticed to grab something next to me, and uh, yeah, she was like kneeling on the floor, going along on her oh, hands and knees. That's terrible. Yeah, uh, so I just thought I'd grass her up. Yeah, yeah sorry, mate. Go on. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, growing up. Um, was your dad not an art teacher? Oh, he taught for five minutes. I mean, they're sort of like, they're, what he did, he's, they were, they're not artists or anything. They were just, they were just, I think they kind of grew up with a sort of, you know, my mum was sort of virtually Stalinist. <laughs> yeah. Dad is, you know, it's like, I was still up listening to them having conversations about sort of Palestine and Israel and sort of like, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So they were political. And, uh, you know, you, you have a Christmas present, you get fucking like, you know, communist manifesto, really? you know, sort of, you know, they were, but they were not like, you know, they're not 
you know, they're not fucking liberal, not in any sense, yeah. not in any sense. But the funny thing is, is the consequence of their sort of kind of interest in sort of what culture is as a, I suppose from a sort of like an old school socialist sort of, sort of thought was that they just end up giving, you know, like setting us out into the, you know, me and my brother and my sister as well, you know, off into art school so that we became really fucking super bourgeois. So that when they came home, they could go, you fucking bourgeois. <laughs> yeah. They've just but created their own it. target. You yeah. started it. You fucking, Brilliant. you kind of like, you made us read that stuff. And when they, you know, then they go, oh God, you know, you lot, you know, disgusting. <laughs> and how was it growing up? Because you, you're Cheltenham, right? No, I, I was born in Cheltenham, but I grew up in Hastings. Oh, sorry. Oh, Hastings ain't bad, is it? That's a, that's a cool place. St. Leonard's, wasn't it? St. Leonard's on sea, yeah. Yeah, St. Leonard's is cool. I quite like that. It used to be a shit. Or it, used to be t- it used to be rough as arseholes when I was a kid. It was like really, really horrible. The funny thing is, is that my parents now hate it because it's got so fucking gentrified. Oh, they're still there? They're still there, but I always say to them, I was like, yeah, but you know what? You know, you, you started the gentrification, you know? You know, like, they really, they really hate that. Well, Hastings is very arty or becoming very arty. And it's been, it's got bright on the other side. And it's well, sort Brighton, of, Brighton was always like that. Brighton was yeah. like that years ago. It, but it's coming, they're getting attacked from either side by the earth. It's, 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 but it's just that sort of, you know, the march of the inevitable, isn't it? Yeah. Like Margate and everywhere. It's sort of like, you know, I, like again, you know, I know I've, I've said this a million times, anyone listening is probably bored if they've heard it, but, you know, the second you kind of got a, you know, a museum called a Tate, Tate Modern and it's got escalators in it, you know, things have changed. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's, kind of, that's the, you know, a, a, a literal turbine factory with escalators for people to just stand on and go and look at art. You know, that's kind of like, that defines, that's the epitome, that's the, that, that's the anecdotal kind of fucking icon for, for gentrification. You know, it's yeah. like the L- London powerhouse is now fucking driven by sort of, you know, art. And I, I guess that, that, that just seeps in everywhere. It's become the kind of, you know, it's become, it's the sort of, a sort of, you know, service industry now, isn't it, really, I suppose. So, yeah. is it, was you living in um, that area when you applied for, for university in East yeah, London, yeah. whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. where did Dinos go at that time? He went to, he's like five years older than me, so we went to Ravens, I'm going to say Ravens, I don't want to say Ravens books, I think that's a concentration camp. <laughs> I think it is actually. So yeah. when did you decide to work as one? Uh we both ended up at Royal College at the same time. He was oh, in, yeah. he was in the painting and I was in sculpture. I hated it. I don't know. I don't think he liked it. Uh I think he just got on with what he was doing. I just spent two years dragging my feet and having trying to have arguments with every single tutor that I could have. No, because not because, only because it was kind of suddenly the idea of what an education was, you know, the idea of going to this place that was just, you know, all it was was like a finishing school, really. It was like the, the idea that what you did was you kind of like by osmosis, you became great just by being in the same studio that some yeah. other sort of, you know, uh, sort of uh, ancestor, you know, ancestral genius. It, it was kind of stagnated into this sort of English conservatism, you know, and I just was kind of I just got there. I mean, it was, you know, it was nice things about it, but I, mean, I am a bit mean about when I speak about it, but it was sort of. It was it, it was just sort of it, it was a difficult place to be in if you didn't want to do anything other than make sculpture that took four men to lift. And that's how, yeah. that, you know, think, it, like this kind of real, you know, sort of 
you know, uh, intransigent sort of English notion of art as being sort of, you know, ah, you know, especially in the sculpture school, because it was kind of like, if you weren't dragging your knuckles, you know, you weren't a sculptor. Yeah. And it was kind of, so I spent two, two years trying to, you know, having arguments about why a piece of writing stuck on a wall wouldn't, what, what didn't constitute a kind of a sculpture, you know, and because I became sort of like institutionally sort of obsessed in terms of sort of finding out the dynamics of what's possible in that location, because that was the thing that obsessed me, you know, yeah. I'd sort of walk around recording my footsteps and stuff like that, and, you know, just, I mean, just, just absolutely sort of focused on annoying my tutors, because that for me was the most sort of, you know, there was no, you couldn't, that was the most relevant thing, really, you know, that sort of, that kind of parochial hatred was really the drive, you know, for me. And I think that was kind of legitimate. And then at the end of that, you know, we left. And I think that by that time, Dinos was always, was already working for Gilbert and George. Uh, he'd been working part time for quite a long time. And, um, uh, and I worked there for a bit as well. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the thing is, is that I think that, you know, that we didn't, there was no convergence while we were at Royal College. He did his thing, I did mine. Yeah. And, um, I think when we left, I think we, I guess being spat out of a place like the Royal College is like, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a shock really. Um, you know, cause, cause I was also that time I was still living in Upton Park after leaving North East London. So I still had my flat there. So I'd get on, on the train at Upton Park, get out at South Ken. And that journey every day was like some emotional fucking, like, yeah. It was like a, it was like a socio-economic sort of like travel through time. I get in the dark ages and get out at this horrific, and I'd come out of this place like look at the kind of, just be like fuck South Kensington and it's kind of glory and it's kind of money yeah. and stuff. And then obviously by the day we goes after the day we went past, I kind of get used to the Royal College and everything that, that implies, you know, this idea yeah. of, and privilege. And then by the end of the day, it'd be like, yes, go back onto South Ken, get on the train, come back out in Upton Park. So every every journey, it was like a fucking shock either yeah. way. I mean, and I think when I left college, I think I, I would sort of fell into a bit of a hole because it was like, I didn't, I never really, I never really felt, the only thing I liked about the um, Royal College was at South Kensington was that the the, the, the studios were behind the uh, Natural History Museum and you could go and I, I think I spent two years plundering their skip Brilliant. And, and, and just finding stuff and I had it in my studio and then I'd chuck it back in their skip so I'd just borrow it. For <laughs> and that's what, that was the only thing that was going on. It was a very sort of it was really strange to be in such a sort of a, a, a supposedly culturally dense area, but with no culture whatsoever. With yeah, it's no, funny, no, it? no intelligence, no, no apps, no interest in anything else other than this kind of completely stabilized English sort of arrogant sort of privilege. And, it, and it, not just privilege, I don't mean it like white, I just mean this idea that it was kind of, it, 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 it believed in itself and it had that sort of, you know that sort of that the Royal College had this idea that what it was exceptional exceptionalized the individual like everyone was a kind of like a neoliberal hero there because they were they had this competitive spirit and it was like yeah. really sort of quite awful you know and I'm really so anyway when we left that we I think that me and Dinos were talking about the work that was it was more interesting what we were talking about than making our own work and I think that's you know it I think going at the Royal College, it was I didn't come out sort of 
I came out writing more than anything. I wrote loads when, when I was at college. I mean, I've, I've always written, but I wrote loads when I was at college. And that was pretty much the thing I did. Coming out there, I wasn't really interested in making art until we started talking about what it could be. And yeah. then, that, you know, so it meant that the art came from the conversation rather than sort of sitting in a studio wondering how to be oh, a genius. Yeah. And how was it working for Gilbert and George? It was great. I mean, they were, you know, really nuts i mean really kind of really i mean really super the thing that's interesting about them is that because of their you know i think you know this i interviewed them the other day and actually it was really it was really funny um i turned up turned up with a cup of coffee right brick lane off you know nice cup of sort of whatever it was skinny latte sort of right with fucking oat milk you know <laughs> i turn up and george says he says, what? he says, what's that? So I said, it's a coffee. He said, you middle-class cunt. <laughs> and I've been on for a long time, right? You know, they've been there since 1968 or yeah. 64, right? And, I, and all I was trying to do in this interview was saying, right, you know, so, you know, you live in this area. It's got the highest density of artists in Europe. How does that feel like, loads of artists? Because I know full well, they hate artists, right? They fucking hate, they also hate art, yeah. right? They are, they are the, they, they, they present themselves as being the most kind of utopian, optimistic, but it's a sham. It's a yeah, yeah. sort of, it's like, it's the, it's the equivalent of a suicide vest. You know, they are absolutely fucking seething misanthropists. They fucking hate people. But they, yeah. so when he calls me, he says, you, you know, middle class cunt. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I go, all right. You know, they, like, so in the interview, I say, right, you know, come on, come on, George, right. You live here, right. As far as I know, everything, ever since I've known you, You've walked miles to go and get food in a different area because everywhere you go that's close by, it just ends up being an art. art. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, we love artists. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that's. I mean, it was brilliant working. You know, there was there was never a point at which they they broke step in terms of how they act and how they are. You know, that was kind of quite good. I mean, although I suppose the thing that we learned was the opposite, given the fact that they act symbiotically as one artist. They, you know. And they'll say things like, you know, you know, because I kind of don't come from a discourse in thinking about art as being creative, because I think what that does is it kind of it it allows people to believe that there are certain people who can be naturally yeah, yeah, kind of a natural uh, essentialism, which says that creativity is some ethereal thing that comes to you by some gift. I don't think that's true. I don't think anything is like that. And I, so I, I, ne I would always avoid that word. So when I say to, to Gilbert and George in the interview, I say, um, so, you know, you were you were working through um, COVID. They said, no, we were creating through COVID. Said, <laughs> Fair right. enough. All right. All right. Well, I wrote to them when I was away and they invited me along to their... Did you go? <laughs> yeah. And oh. it's when I was out, I was out for a, a couple of days. I was allowed from prison in London. Right. when I was doing a course and I went round their house and uh, I'd, I'd read and heard a lot about, of you know, of how they were as one, as you said. Yeah. And yeah. I knocked on the door. He opened the door, introduced myself and he said, Oh, come in, come in. Yeah. And I've walked in and into the front room. Yeah. And um, they've shut the door behind me. And then it was just like, for a moment, it's like I was in this fucking horror film. Like, am I going to get out of here? Is there going to be a, a fucking lever that gets pulled and the floor opens up, you know, because yeah. it was really strange. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved them. I loved yeah. them a bit, but it was just so bizarre yeah. being around that, you know? 
Yeah, it was, it's, I mean, again, sort of talking to them the other day, it was like, you know, I had a whole load of questions and I wanted to talk to them about stuff. I wanted to be a bit agile about talking about the app, but everything is, you know, it's like, there's no deviation from the script. It really is interesting because they say stuff like, you know, we want our art for all, we want it for everyone. And it, of course it's not for everyone because it's like, in a way it's the most elitist art that's, you know, it's kind of, they, they play around with what the, you know, this notion of sort of art for all. There really are sort of, in a way, you know, uh, George, I and mean, certainly El Gilbert too, but there's sort of George's working class background is definitely part of what he's doing. Yeah. It's definitely part of what he's doing. This notion of becoming these kind of completely sort of utilitarian sort of, you know, not bourgeois, but sort of kind of elevated English gentleman. And then making, you know, pictures called the piss pictures or the yeah. pictures is that they're dragging aristocracy through the shit. Yeah. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of, they're, they're you know, it's, it's way more strategically interesting than just, I mean, and I guess it works because they, they have to play it completely earnestly. They have to sound like, you know, you know, we love everything. Everything's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, all these artists and everyone's wonderful. It's like, and really they're like, they're vicious. There's a vicious. Thing. <laughs> Would you think that. Jake and Dinos took any of that ethos with them? Oh fuck, fuck, fuck! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Christ, it was a master. It was a masterclass. Is I mean, it those I, that made you decide to want to work together? I think they made it possible. I think they made it kind of. I mean, I, I mean, I was uh, in my sort of infancy at art school. I was interested in sort of people like art and language that went that had groups of people that were spread from sort of two to 50. So yeah. the idea of sort of people working together, it wasn't such a, it wasn't so um, alien to me, but I think Gilbert and George, it really congealed. But also the fact that actually, you know, this idea of their sort of, the way that they kind of, they, they, they play this notion of being sort of humanistic artists, really kind of emotional, but they are really like machines, you know, yeah. They're like I, they're like bad robot robots pretending to be nice artists, you know. So that you go, oh, you know, and they're like they're sort of almost like they're, what they've done is they're squeezed out the last bit of humanity from themselves. You know, <laughs> they're like a cult of two people. Aren't like they? cult, they're like, they're, and what they're doing is that they're showing back how shit humans are yeah. to humans. Have you seen this um, Ada robot thing? No, uh, it's AI artist. Oh, you got to look. Yes, yeah, yeah, I have. Sorry, and, and it's like. I think she's like them. <laughs> because I think, because when you think about, you know, when you think about their early work and they were doing these performance pieces going underneath the art, yeah, yeah. just themselves silver and gold. And also the mannerist way in which they sort of talk and they kind of, you know, they, they dispose don't dispose of their personality. They don't, they don't have casual movements. They don't inhabit space or time or they don't have conversations which are sort of, you know, kind of interactive. Everything is kind of clipped and kind of, they're, I think they're sort of like, I think they're in advance of sort of cyborgs. I think they they have understood <laughs> the, the, the machineness of what being human is and they're yeah. just bringing it back to us, like sort of, you know, singing these kind of like sentimental songs in a fucking like a, a, a dirty sort of, railway arch yeah. you know you know moving like fucking robots like automatons you know so this notion that what they're representing is this art for all and this beautiful art for beautiful people is that it's a fucking they are it's almost as if they're they're the precursors of this ai sort of complete takeover over of humanity and then a, a and that ada <sighs> robot is kind of like that she's it's like you know the bloke who sort of programs her 
this weird bloke what the fuck his 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 interest is it i think i don't know if there's going to be sort of some kind of law pedophilia sort of robophilia where because doing something very wrong to that robot because i think it's like you know the idea of saying what is ai it's this super intelligence it's this fucking amazingly kind of esoteric abstract sort of you know kind of you know it's this the, the notion of all intelligence compacted into this self-organizing system and he's got this fucking ai robot who's just given a speech at the house of commons it's giving a speech at the, at the at wherever you know e eu and whatever and he's and, made it look a little too pretty hasn't he well, but she, no but she looks and all her ai she draws like some fucking idiot from tunbridge wells with a with a doing life drawing in some fucking you know garden sort of you know, she's she, all he's done is he's given her arm with, yeah. with, the, with the thing, and she just does these terrible drawings. It's like he has enslaved AI, made AI become like the worst student at your college. Brilliant! It's fucking terrible. It's it's, it's criminal. It's criminal, <laughs> honestly. When listen, when the fucking singularity comes and those robots are in control, that guy is going to be tortured for an eternity in his own simulation for doing that. So they are going to pull him apart. You won't yeah. be getting one as a studio assistant. No, I'll be I'll be assisting them. <laughs> I'll be assisting them. That's the way it yeah. goes. They've assisting. got the brains. You, you well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I'll be like sitting there going, what should I do now? Like, no, kill yourself. Okay. Well, I've got to say, the, the show that you've done at White Cube, the pair of you. Yeah. The, I know you've done, a, you've done several. The Chapman Family Collection. Yes. That was a, a, a great time. Well, for me, for us, it was before social media when you had everything thrown at you and you had to go and look yeah. to search what to go and see. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, I didn't really want to do that. I'd, I'd find out who was on where, but I wouldn't read about what yeah. there was. So it was a surprise for me. Right. And when I walked into that one, I, I think I went to the to the opening of it. Fucking hell, man. It was it was just so different. It, it yeah. properly blew me away. It's been in my top. Yeah. Free art experiences for years. <laughs> you know, I was ex wasn't expecting yeah. anything like it. It was so theatrical. Yeah, uh, it was funny to do. It was really funny. It to looked do. it. We had a friend, a friend of mine up who was a, a tree surgeon and said, "Have you got any wood?" He said, "He said how much do you want?" I said, 15 tons." And he got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turned up. And, um, I wasn't there when we used to live with the wood, but Dean was there. They rolled it in. Cost about hundred quid. And uh, we spent six months making it, but it was really funny. I mean, I remember turning up to the studio, me and Dinos with the chisels and the fucking hammers going, and then going, right, okay, right. We had a, a book of McDonald's, the sort of like the generic McDonald's collectibles with all the things in there. And when we had some sort of African sort of sculpture book there, and it'd be like, right, oh, you know, that looks a little bit like that. Okay, yeah. let's do that. And then, and then he'd be working on one, I'll work on one. And I remember the first thing, it was like getting the chisel and going, right, and it's like shit <laughs> it's like it's like it's marble it's, it's, like, it's three hits per it's it's like one chip per three hits it's like yeah. this is going to take a long time but it was really good fun and then and you know we I, I wrote the press release and the press release was you know chapman family collection of 70 years of the chapman family uh and it was brilliant how newspapers i i think because i think that pre-internet or not pre-internet, but pre-social media. You know, they were talking about times when I think people were a little bit more moronic, you know, because I wrote the the, the press release said something like, you know, the work has been collected from the regions from of um uh um serif 
um, Nampak or whatever. And these are all kind of Big Mac fries. Yeah. Got, all these words just turned backwards and people were quoting them. Like yeah. these, these are actual places. And um, all the, um, all the little, uh, the, the kind of the, the catalog numbers on the back of the back of the sculptures, the little white numbers yeah. that make them look like new, uh, museum references. They were all, uh, McDonald's telephone numbers, you know, around London. It was like at every level. Yeah, it was. Of... I didn't, it didn't hit me first of all because I went in and I saw all of these effigies. I didn't know what I was expecting, and when I saw them all, I was like, "What yeah. the fuck's going on here?" Yeah. But the first one, because they they were subtle enough that they, at first glance, they wasn't McDonald's because yeah. your mind says African effigies, yeah. and then the one that I saw was a mask that was a, a pack of fries. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, everything, I saw just McDonald's with an yeah. accent of African well, mask. I mean, the funny thing is, is that it's often the way it's kind of regarded is like, you know, when we, when before I, we phoned the um, tree surgeon up, we were looking into the most rare wood we could get our hands on. So it would be even more offensive, you know, if we could get... <laughs> You know, to stop it being Some like a comment on globalization, yeah. you know, which is like it wasn't that, it was absolutely not. It was kind of like way more sort of pessimistic, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it was a good show that. And I remember reading the the, yeah. the little sheet out the front which said yeah, 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 all yeah, what yeah. you were saying. I was going yeah. like because no when I go to an exhibition. I'll yeah. go in, have a look yeah. around, yeah. come out. Yeah, we'd stand out there, have a beer, went back in for the second go. Then it made sense on the on the yeah. second time around. God, hasn't it? They were the days, weren't they? Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I, I just remember like years back when we first started and stuff, I and mean, the whole thing kind of kicked off because no one had been interested in young artists ever before. And young artists, had, you know, again, you know, did you see that? Uh, did you see the sensation um, uh, document? I've got it recorded. Fuck, it's awful. Oh, is it? Awful. Awful. It's so bad. It's like dewy-eyed eyes looking back and sort of creating the myth of the past in the present. It's just unbelievably bad. The only thing I kind of remember at that time, which it kind of almost got right, it kind of got sort of Britpop, it's got a Britpop soundtrack throughout the whole thing. So it's kind of like, after a while, I'm sitting there going, no! It's because it's like, and it's, it's, it's really weird. It's got it kind of like focuses on people who weren't even in it. You know, it's yeah. really strange. It's so you got to watch it. It's, it's so bad. But the only thing I was going to say is that I, I do remember what, that there was uh, a thing that, you know, that if you did shows and stuff, it was like one of the most important things was to have like a little label for which, which sort of alcohol sponsor you'd got sponsored from. Otherwise people wouldn't come. Right. I mean, I remember getting things through the place going, it's not got, it's no, what? <laughs> <laughs> well it was um like gavin was on here a couple of months ago yeah and um yeah we we was chatting it chatting about it then but yeah it it just it come at the just the right time for me i'd yeah. fallen in love with art right i wanted to be a, a a traditional type of artist yeah um and then i i saw this stuff that i hated yeah um i didn't understand it at all um, and it was just looking at that sensations catalogue and someone yeah. telling me to read it before I slag it off. Yeah. And then it just connected with me. And yeah. fucking well, hell, literally the next day I wanted to be a conceptual artist. It's a good it's a good argument against the idea of the word creation. Because what it means is that actually a lot of what that work was doing was it was saying actually, if you've got this idea of art being creative, 
this work is going to cut across that and say because if you have that attitude about art being some internal creative sort of drive and stuff like that actually all that work was like the best of it was like saying no that none of of that works that's a fucking myth that's an illusion and that's also a really bourgeois illusion you know that art comes from the soul and you know that people are born artists well because that's kind of that normally implies certain types of people are born and that's normally a socio-economic factor that's not that's not you don't get you know it's not it's a, well it's, i knew that definitely wasn't the case because i couldn't draw never had i had no interest in it yeah. and then i got taught yeah but no one can draw i mean anyone you have to be taught to draw or yeah. you, you have to you have to have a fascination in doing it but that isn't kind of a god god given or some kind of nat- natural sort of gift i mean you know i i remember t- teaching um at uh, goldsmiths years ago and sort of you know having this conversation with this kid who sort of made this um photo uh, realist, hyper-realist painting, big painting, and he'd done it from a small photograph like that, which I was already saying, well, you know, have you realised that, you know, when you blow things up, they're kind of like, it's not, it's going to be hard to kind of do like for like. You could have got the picture that's and just done like, you know. And I said, I looked at it, I said, but the thing is, is that it's not, it's not photorealist, is it? He said, yeah, 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 it is. I said, well, it's not, though. <laughs> I said, I said, it's not. I said it's not it's not photorealist. I mean, if we you know forget you, it itself, its own argument, it, my eyes, it's not photorealist. And he said no, but it's the best I can do. And I said right, <laughs> now that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. And this is the thing about creativity is that if you treat your the way that you make art as being just the limitation of what you can do, then you've. I said if I took your family right, you know, so I said I'm going to take them away, and then if you don't do it as a hyperrealist painting, I'm going to shoot them all. You do it. <laughs> yeah. You'd have motivation to do it, but the motivation wouldn't make you go, I'm doing the best I can. Because you'd, you'd know that the best I can is not going to cut whether I call your family or not. I mean, yeah, that's, that's not, not the best way to teach. Slides, it's not the best yeah. way to teach, but it's like, it's a good example of saying the point is about, you know, what's interesting, what's really interesting about that example is that actually what the painting was, was that sort of that existential sense of his sense of himself by saying that the, if the if the if the task if the goal is to do this thing which is outside of his existential ability then his existential ability is in itself shit and he should be overcoming his his, his existential limit to get to do the thing which should go beyond this notion of saying what his creative sort of um, threshold is you know he should be able to say well I should be able to do anything you know. You know, there's again, you know, the idea of saying someone says I can't draw it, but well, you know, if 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 the motivations are there, you know, I parents... did he go on to be a great photorealistic artist or a lonely orphan with with no family? <laughs> yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. But yeah, it is that it is that thing inside that's that drive, and it. Well, I think I think it's the idea of sort of it's a really interesting sort of if you think about sort of like you know east west sort of arguments that used to sort of prevail about sort of things like you know like a, a western virtuoso violinist would play something with soul and beauty and some kind of profound sort of sublime sort of meaning to it and an eastern violinist like virtuoso would just play it like a fucking robot like yeah. so much better and the way that that argument would pan out is because people say yeah but that's because they have no souls they're just learning it and it's actually it's what it is is that it's kind of this this like this argument for being slightly shit, you know, it's like saying, but that's the soul, you know, the the soul is something inaccurate. There's, it's an approximation of stuff, and that's its beauty. Is it's like Susan Boyle, fucking. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's like this idea that there's some sort of there's some kind of beauty in this existential sort of I- I- inaccuracy, you know. Yeah. I was going to say saying that about the east and west will bring me on to the next bit. Yeah, go on. I I stepped out of the art world for a few years in between leaving i started an ma and pulled out of it because right. um, we we started a family and i had to yeah yeah get yeah a job so i had nothing to do with the art world for a few years i was in the west end one day and i knew that white cube had opened up mason's yard but i'd not been there and i didn't even know where it was so i thought i'll go and have a look to see what's there i saw their um gallery walked in went downstairs use were on and yeah. it was the um if if Hitler was a hippie and again fucking hell that just that switched (laughs) every button well it was called fucking hell wasn't it that sculpture brilliant because that's what people said when they saw it yeah the worlds that you created yeah yeah yeah. you you get lost in them for hours yeah yeah yeah. but it was when I saw what you'd done to the Hitler things yeah paintings yeah Yeah. that really did connect I'd say if, if I'm looking back on the stuff I think they're some of my favorite only because they are, they're so, they're such weird things. I mean, you know, what the amazing thing is, is that, I mean, there are so many funny sort of anecdotal sort of stories about all of that stuff, about kind of death threats from sort of like, you know. You know is that what you got? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, what, from 12-year-old kids in America? Who oh, okay, okay. Sports, I mean, you know, you know, it's a totally, but but also, you know, if, if the work has, has been driven towards, you know, by some idea of sort of saying, well, what is the dark underbelly of, of human life? What is the what is the thing which kind of is, you know, is that everything else is the veneer for, you know, this kind of libidinal fucking intensity that drives us, that does it and, and kind of like presents us, presents us in a, in, a, in a light in which we kind of think we're somehow we're somehow moving progressively towards some kind of self-betterment, and, yeah. you know. But, you know, and then the idea of sort of saying that you can produce this work that's really horrible or, you know, provocative or kind of questioning or challenging. And then the idea of the simplicity of saying you've got probably an artifact of, of a person of, who has done the most criminal thing, not, not least just for the kind of the, the, the curiosity and the sort of the kind of the, the madness of drawing on a Hitler painting. But the idea of saying that, you know, when you look at the, the painting, you know, you kind of think, it reveals something interesting, not just about itself, but about, you know, modern art, about what art is and what it does and how it does stuff. Because if you look at, you know, a, a, a Hitler painting and you look at this and you think, what is the, what is, what's, what, what's your, what's your kind of instant sort of, you know, a reaction? What do you get from this thing? You just look at it and you think it's so fucking banal, right? It's kind of, it's kind of some of them are kind of drawn well, but there's nothing in there 
you know, there's nothing in there. They really beige paintings as well, weren't they? Really beige paintings. Like yeah. Well, you kind of well, okay. You say so if you had a kind of if you had a Hitler and you had a Van Gogh, you looked at Van Gogh's swaying sort of trees and kind of like sun or kind of the night and the mad stars. You'd look at you start going fucking hell. Yeah, this guy was fucking crazy. Look how mad these fucking paintings are. Right. So you'd go well. Okay. Van Gogh's madness, you can calibrate it in terms of the fact that he ate white paint, cut his ear off and shot himself. That's his madness. That's as mad as he was. Okay, you look at a Hitler painting, you wouldn't, you know, if you're unaware of it, you'd just say, well, it's just a sort of a minor sort of rendition of a sort of like a German hostel by, you know, around about sort of, you know, 19, you know, 19. 30 whatever it's not with any you know it's nothing there's no it's just a little kind of sort of mundane banal study and so well actually this guy went on to murder seven million people you'd think okay well which is the more maddest person it's yeah. definitely not van gogh he's a fucking he's like normal <laughs> normal he's absolutely fucking flawless normal person absolutely, with the issue absolutely well it's a minor Hiccups. This guy. But what's interesting is that it shows that what 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 how you interpret the work of art as being sort of something that's kind of laden with sort of pathos and sort of trauma and this thing which is nothing, nothing. You know, yeah. it kind of almost in a way it sort of reveals the fact that that, that the question of saying what can a work of art hold? You know, if a if a work of art can't re reveal the identity of its of its of its protagonist. Then maybe works of art don't operate like that in that way, you know. You know, on on the one hand, just the sort of the kind of idiocy of thinking it's really funny to draw on Hitler's paintings because a you're ruining it for history, you're ruining it for the future, uh, you're kind of ruining this notion that he can ever be called an artist. You're also, you know, this kind of like, this kind of fictional notion that the reason that he kind of tended towards the uh, genocide is because he was uh, not not. He kind of was rejected from the academy and then went on to you know this kind of daft story that yeah. if he'd been an artist everyone would have been okay right so the idea that hitler was you know his kind of frustration about not being a famous artist now we've made him famous we've made him a famous artist yeah you know that's the least we can do you know well, i saw it as when because again i didn't read any of the gump when i went in no. i think i just saw like these rainbows and yeah. clowns and you know yeah. people having fun in these yeah. environments that he'd made up the thing that the brits do is they they see something sort of traumatic and invading their being and then just take the piss out of it a little bit yeah like the song hitler has only got one ball to, yeah. to deal with these bombs coming over the, yeah the people yeah. of britain just make up this silly little song and it, it sort of counterbalances i can tell you a funny story about that actually hitler's only got one ball i was doing a show in in berlin once and um Putting the show up and stuff, and I started getting this real pain, and I was thinking, <laughs> "What's this pain?" Like? <laughs> and uh, it was at CS, it was um, yeah, but a gallery in Berlin, and we put the show up, and I was like saying to Dean, "I was like, Dean, I've got this fucking pain in bollocks. I'm just, I've got to go back to the hotel. I went back to the hotel, and uh, they were all going to go out for the dinner the night before the private view, you know. And I said, "I'm not coming out." And I was sitting in the hotel, and I sort of started to realise I was getting delirious. Thinking, fuck, I'm right, I'm sweating, I've got I've got absolute I've got temperature. So I kind of panic and I phone phone the reception. I said, Can you I've got can you get a doctor? I'm really not well. And um, so this doctor comes in, he says, What and I by this time I've sent I've got I've actually sort of given myself a bit of an examination. Yeah. One of my bollocks, right, is so shiny, it looks like a fucking zeppelin. <laughs> it's not only round, it's gone, 
it's gone it's gone sort of like yeah. oblong you know and it looks and the other ones because you know the reason they're kind of all you know they're like they've got kind of pleats and folds and stuff is because it expands the surface area and keeps them cool okay right like a radiator but the opposite of a radiator yeah. so so one of them is really shiny the other one's normal shape <laughs> and the doctor he says he's like oh fuck you're right okay shit you know he's like Right, so you know, drop your trousers. You're like, oh my god, fuck, you know. So he goes, right, quick, come on, we got to go. And now uh, takes me down. He says, two, two, no time for an ambulance. He says, uh, the taxi's outside. He puts me in a taxi, and he says, he says to the driver, he says, take him to this place. Obviously in German, I'm kind of sitting in the back going, oh, <laughs> putting all your faith in this person. Oh, yeah. So we end up going to this place, really dark, sort of looked like a kind of a big office building. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like this? They go into this reception. It's like, I'm like going in like that. I go, oh, go up. And it turns out to be a military hospital. Oh, yeah. Why the hell he thinks I need to go to a military hospital? I don't know. I'm, obviously, I never found out. But they say, okay, and they look at it and they go, right, okay, quick. You need to put me on a drip and stuff like that. I mean, a military hospital in Germany doing a show and suddenly start my one bollock that's kind of one testicle which is now so shiny i can see my face in it and i start thinking yeah no <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are nazis allowed to have karma right because i've been <laughs> really fucking, you know kind of brutally mean you know obviously sort of kind of absolutely ripping the hell out of not and and here i am in germany with a fucking testicle sorry, an infection right and they say you can either stay here maybe the next couple of days on a drip or, or it's up to you i just i just i'll just leave and i get on the plane and rose my wife came sort of came to meet me she said everyone came out you know hours. And you, you left with both of them though came out like that i was going i even went as i got off the plane you know that bit where you go straight on through passport you can turn left if you're a diplomat yeah. i just went straight around left because it was quicker and they're going no sir i was going yes <laughs> <laughs> the went, right. playing up. no you don't you do you don't need to know but it's <laughs> yeah yeah how did your work go out go down over there you know uh there was a seriousness about the work and i think that you know in terms of you know, you know, the manoeuvring of the work in terms of its humour and its sort of... Um, but it's humorous from this well, end, but I was wondering about whether it was humorous from their end. I mean, no, I, I mean, look, I mean, it's... it's, it's it, we, 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 we showed that work in uh, St. Petersburg once in um, the Hermitage, you know, which is quite an amazing show. Yeah. And then we got this, you know, somehow, I think through, I don't know, news, um, um, a journalist somehow got in contact and was like have you heard that the uh the, the 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 kind of the federal prosecutor has come and shut this is looking into the work and you know they may be they may be shutting it down and suing it and you know keeping the work and i was like fuck you know what is it it's like some general sort of you know you know because obviously their history and stuff you know they've kind of some you know they've objected to it and some other you know you know the, the, the state or whatever Turned out it was one little old lady that didn't like Ronald being hung on or being crucified on us on a and so they they're just under obligation if they get one kind of complaint. So that's wow. the thing about Germany is that it's obviously, you know, you you're probably dealing with a, a higher grade of discursive sort of understanding yeah. of what the fuck's we're doing rather than doing it here where people go, you know, it's sort yeah. of like, you know, they're probably I kind of imagine because they've been 
through the kind of the the, the, the self-examination that they're you know of course you're going to get people who are conservatively kind of phobic about even considering it because of course it brings up sort of issues about you know their past and stuff but their past is our past you know yeah. i mean one of the things that you know you think about uh you know, I, I heard this uh, statistic that's recently came out that apparently the Dutch were the worst people for handing over Jews. You know, I, I ne didn't ever know that. I don't, right. I mean, the idea that they were kind of, you know, every European country was kind of happier than Larry to do that, to just go, of course. You know, because, of course, at that time, anti-Semitism was kind of, was was not just a German issue. It was kind of, it was, it was European. And, I, you know, you kind of think, imagine if the Germans got to Britain. I mean, who, I mean... The, the English would be queuing up to tell on people. They'd yeah. be telling, you know, there would be, it would start with, I don't know, it would start with sort of, you know, people with limps, you know, it would go all the way down, you know, honestly, there'd be no one left. The English would be the worst, you know, so the, the notion that the English have got some sort of moral high ground, it doesn't, I mean, we were turning boats of Jewish people back in the Second World War. So, I mean, I don't want to get into the war conversation, but, you know, you kind of think, you know, it's not a national problem, it's a I mean, especially now, Jesus Christ, yeah. I mean, the move to the right. The Home Secretary that has got this dream. <laughs> wow. she, makes, she, makes, she makes Pretty Patel look like some fucking, I don't know, sort Scary of shit, isn't it? community worker. I mean, really, it's like, what the... F a dr I mean, it's astonishing. It's really... Scary, astonishing. isn't it? Yeah. But talking about the work you've, you had then, yeah. um, this, this won't be out for a few weeks yet. But just was it yesterday you released the hell souvenirs? Yes, uh, a few days ago, yeah. And they are what? They are souvenirs from hell. They're like all the little figures that didn't make it onto any of the hell dioramas that we made. You know, they're, they've been kind of sitting in boxes, murmuring away for like 15 years. So I just decided that, you know, get them out, you know. And they're being sold as a in a, in a package of. No, uh, you get sort of there's like sort of four or five. Oh, okay. Yeah, you get you get five or six figures. You get all these little peripheral like, sort of like, headband sticks and sort of little. It's a beauty yeah. for the art world. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had a little insight into them. I went down your studio a few years ago. I don't know if you remember being in an exhibition where you just donated an artwork. It was in 2016. It was to, and the artwork was to be damaged. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you yeah, not appreciate that? I thought that was great. That was really good. That good. Was really I put it underneath in a in a McDonald's drive-through, mm -hmm. and the cars were going for about an hour and a half. The cars were just like driving around, going over it. Funny, because all yeah. the artwork. No, when you say 2016, honestly, for a little bit, I'm actually sitting here looking. At, I was trying to look at my fingers, going 16, 17, 18. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. I was thinking five, six years. Yeah, don't matter. I would never remember. <laughs> I went yeah. down when I went down to pick it up. Yeah. Then, then the studio. Uh, have you still got that studio? Is it London? Is it Wellington Drive? Trafalgar Muse. Trafalgar Muse. Hey, I was, I was on the right track. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had history. On Good next, I, was, I, I got referred to once as Dill Boy of the Art World, and that just fucking no, summed it up, didn't it? That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Wellington Drive, no Trafalgar Muse. What a dick! But <laughs> yeah, the brain's working. I mean, that's, I mean, that's it was, it was really uh, six really years funny. ago. Um, but yeah, exactly. when I went down there, then 
No, we've not um, got rid of it. Got rid of it. What, what happened when you went down there? No, nothing. Just I walked in there to pick this thing up. Yeah. This, this, uh, you know, the, the artwork. Yeah. I just walked in and she went, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go and get it. I'll be a few minutes. And I'm inside your brain, if you like, you know. <laughs> and I fucking loved it. I was just yeah. like looking around and, you know, yeah. you had all your work. And, and that's the beautiful thing about going into an artist studio. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just saw all the workings there. And, yeah, it was a, yeah. a beautiful, a beautiful moment now. Yeah, I don't but, know yeah thank, thank you for that retrospectively. Oh, no. no, no, no. But I mean, um, yeah, no, I sort of like that. I, I suppose that, you know, drawing on Goya and stuff like that is just pretty much doing the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, working that out, like working out the currency of stuff. And I don't mean literal currency, but what something means if it's... I mean, what, the funny thing about all the Goya things we've drawn on, you know, however sort of exquisitely the drawings have been done and sort of painstakingly, every single time it's like vandalized. It's like, so this question is, something's vandalized, money's, you know, its value is decreased. And she wanted money to Goya. Can't be vandalism. <laughs> you know. A, a question, a set question that I do have here for each artist, Jake, is yeah. if there was you and five artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? You know what I heard you say? I thought you said past in prison. I was thinking, <laughs> that, that is equivalent of your Wellington Drive. I can see you repeating that conversation, that part of the conversation in the future. Five artists in prison. Which one was it? <laughs> <laughs> James Ensor, Philip Guston. Um, Manet. I like my name. Oh, nice. I wasn't expecting that. Carl um, uh, Andre. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. So you say four or five? That's four. That's four. Uh, who else? Shit. Jackson Pollock. Got to be. Superb. Superb. And what, what you do you reckon you'd topic? want to do if you wasn't an artist? If I wasn't an artist? Mm. I mean, anything. I mean, anything. I mean, it's like I never, being an artist for me was never, and I think for a lot of artists of that generation, you know, I don't think being an artist meant money, you know, but it became making money after a while, you know, because if you think about the YBA thing, when the thing that they missed in that program, I think I spent about eight hours talking to them about it. And I, not that I should be the person to say it, but it's like it happened because of neoliberalism. It happened because there was an upsurge in financial services in this country, like a shift from sort of, you know, paying people to work and having a, an industry to just simple financial speculation. And the money that suddenly started exploding in this country then sort of kind of ignited this cultural explosion because there was there was kind of there was an, a surplus amount of money for some for things like art to start suddenly yeah you know and so uh where am i going with that um so the idea of sort of being sort of swept up in that has made me sort of realize in hindsight that actually you know having studios with sort of people working in it and kind of the kind of some of the budgets for the shows i mean i remember we did you know the best, one of the funniest things we ever did, we did a show at Gagosian in, you know, 1990 something, like 96 or something like that. Really early, like a big, massive show. We worked on the show for about, you know, a year, you know. Um, we went to, you know, we get, I mean, I remember going to sort of New York. Dinos didn't want to go. I don't know why he didn't want to go, but I went with a friend of mine and, um, you know, we had to go meet Larry Gagosian in a... Um, restaurant and stuff and we were so so nervous we, we got fucking so stoned <laughs> so stoned because that helps did it 
well, I don't know. I mean, I just, <laughs> you know, I was like, we were just like, and I insisted my friend came with me. And he was going, oh, I don't want to. We got in the cab and we were like, and we and the guy said, there's the restaurant there. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. And so we got out and I remember sort of like, but in, in the kind of, in the rotation of paying him through the thing and then turning round, we went off into the wrong restaurant. Oh. <laughs> and we were in the fucking hours going, Larry Gagosian. <laughs> and the kind of restaurant they were going, no, there's no one here called Larry Gagosian. Like, He's Larry light there. as well. And, now, and I go, that's the restaurant. We <laughs> and we go in there. And my friend, all he does is he just chats. And I just remember sitting there going like that, just going, uh, I, anyway, what the show? You know, so six months later, I think we worked on the show for six months. And all those early mannequins were made. We made about sort of 20 or 30 of these mannequins. They were so hard to make. Chopping things up, fiberglassing them and then car, you know, covering them yeah, over. Yeah. Sort of body filler and sanding them down. You know, you do this kind of sort of Helen Keller thing where you're sort of like going like that. And if you can feel this thing, you've got to rub it all down again, spray it, colour it. These things took so long to make. And they were so... You know, they were just, if they weren't right, you know, you, you know what it's like if you spray spray your cellulose over something, if there's one little dimple, it's just yeah. like, oh, that's all you see. So we'd have to take it all off. You know, we did this whole show. Then we decided to, uh, we did the work for the show. And this is like a big break for us. Obviously massive for us. We're showing New York that early. And um, so we decided to kind of bring the walls out. And it was a big gallery, bring the walls out. And reduced the size of the of the gallery and we made these kind of big fiberglass sort of panels that look like mud dirt like a cross section of earth with all these skulls and bones so it's like you're walking into a mass grave gallery, <laughs> like you're walking into this mass grave and then on the top it, there was a kind of obviously because it formed a platform so it's like around the top we decided to put all the sculpture around the top right so you can hardly see them yeah. So all these beautifully made, you know, kind of absolutely sort of painted slaved over. That just kind of leaning over, looking at you like that. And then we made people wear brown um, monks habits. You had to wear one of these things when you went into it. <laughs> you couldn't have shot if you had if you had ten feet. You could have shot all of them in one. I mean, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was brilliant, you know. And honestly, it was it was. I don't think we sold a thing. Oh. No, I think it was a, it was like a washout. There was nothing they could do to. And we did so many things. We, we we had we there was a there was a office at the end of the thing. We had we made a kind of um a door that they had had to open. As it opened, it made a funny noise. And everything <laughs> we did was like you couldn't have you couldn't have like fucked it up better. Than we did. It so, but it was a. I mean, to this day, I think it was a, probably one of the best exhibitions we ever did. But it was right. like. That's how we set ourselves out at the start was saying, well, right, well, this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm doing. And I heard, I heard many years later, someone says, we walked in with, a, you know, with our assistants, you know, really thinking about where we are. Right. Come on. You know, you got but, one shot at this. No, 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 no. We went in there like going, we are fucking, you know, we are not, this is going to be the show. This is, we've written the catalogue. This is how it's going to be. There's no conversation. This is what it's going to be like. We put the work up there. I don't give a shit whether people can see it or not. That's not the issue. And uh, and then apparently Kikosian said, apparently, I, heard, I don't know if this is true, but someone said years later, they said that apparently he stood there and went, who the fuck do they think they are? The <laughs> fucking Beatles. <laughs> That'll do. Brilliant. It's brilliant. And I sort of think about that. And I sort of think the funny thing about that sort of this mad arc of this whole kind of weird thing that turned into a career, it was never meant to be a career. 
I didn't think people, I didn't think our work would last, not because, you know, somehow I thought it would, I thought it would, I thought it would, it would kind of, it would kind of collapse into its own black hole. I think, you know, how you could make this work. But then, you know, little by little, obviously, it sort of gained some kind of or sort of authority or whatever that means, you know. And then, you know, I sort of now find myself in a situation where my fantasy is to get a little fucking shed and live in the woods, right? So the idea of saying, what would I want to be rather than being an artist? I mean, this is a great, great, yeah, yeah. Getting there, like, this is fucking masterclass, right? Is I prefer to say, I, I kind of imagine like living in a little fucking shed, with maybe a little heater, you know nothing else and just sit there and just go you know right and it means to say that what 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 job would I like I mean I, it's like I couldn't say if I wasn't an artist I'd like to be a fucking astronaut you know or something or I'd like to be really good at something else or amazing at that or you know you know kind of like kind of, you know sort of adored for doing this or whatever I just like to sit in a fucking shed <laughs> yeah. that's, a job. that's what I'll do I'll sell tickets for some stupid event I don't care you know yeah, what I mean it's like after this I don't know. I don't. I can't even answer what would I'd like to have been if I wasn't an artist, because it's kind of obliterated any kind of desire for anything. Yeah, I mean, you did cement your place in history. Well, as as history was being written, if you like, it's yeah, so all of you, all of you. Certain type of history, though, isn't it? But and I think that actually, when you read that, when you watch that fucking sensation program, it's honestly, I just wanted to. It was just so self congratulatory. It's it's sort of. It just was, it's like, it's like, it was just awful. I mean, you got yeah, right. the, the thing is, Jack, you're on the inside of it looking out. No, for, no, for, no, it, no. I've not watched it yet, so I can't comment. But listen, it, it, it's, it's like, it's like all those fucking awful programs about the 60s and stuff. Like, it's just, it's sort of like it, look, it's, it could have been about sensationalism. It could have been about anything. It doesn't matter. It's just the tone of it. And the way it's like, there was no, no one was asking questions about it. No one was saying, right, what was it about? Why were people doing stuff like that? It just said Thatcherism and, uh, you know, people being really upset, punk rock. And it was yeah. like, fuck off. It was like, in actual fact, even being a person who was involved in it, you know, there are much more kind of critically, you know, important. Obviously, I'm not talking about sort of this. Not a, wasn't expecting an open university sort of, you know, program. But it was a, such a lightweight. It was such a glossing over. Yeah. And I think that actually, the problem is, is it's counterproductive if you are trying to sort of support your place as a YBA in that history. Because the worst thing is, is that if it's a load of people packing themselves on the black, it just looks as shit as it looks. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and the thing is about it is that there were there are much more interesting things about where it came from, situationism, stuff like that, the 60s, 68 riots, the protests, the notion of sort of like, you know, sort of anarchism, the fucking hippie movement, you know, where where the idea of kind of sort of capitalism got how it kind of fell off the cliff edge, you know, how people start to ascertain some way of resistance to it. And all that work at some point had some, you know, and all you've got is fucking, you know, blur and fucking yeah. whatever, you know, playing and sort of like loads of artists that openings getting, you know. That's, yeah, that's, was it produced by people who weren't there at the time? I, I, you know, in, the, in the 90s, I mean. Yeah, but I think those people could be making a, a documentary about fucking sort of the IRA and they would have made it about parties and fucking, you know, it, it, honestly, it was like, hey, the IRA. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. It was really, yeah. it's just just really sort of like. But that, I mean, that thing with the sensations catalogue that we, you know, I know that it wasn't just sensations, it was before that. But for me, when mm. I took that 
catalogue, and I've still got, I've got it just over there behind me. When I took that catalogue into my cell, yeah, and and disliked everything in it, yeah, and then I come out the next morning, yeah, and I wanted to be a part of this fucking world, yeah, yeah. It was it, it to me, it is like a fucking bible. I mean, I think the thing would it would be better to to have had, you know interviewed you and you'd say on this thing why you liked what you thought it was about it. I mean, all it is is people reminiscing. And there's no one actually sort of saying, well, it was doing this. It's kind of really sort of, it's, you'll watch it, honestly. You'll call me back and say, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry I questioned the authority of your critique. <laughs> but yeah, it, it changed the way I viewed. You should do part two of this. You watch it and then we'll, we'll slag it off. <laughs> it changed the way I viewed everything. Yeah. Art, life, everything. No, I think it was. I think it was important. I think it was. It, I think there were things about it that were really interesting. And I think those. I think the problem is, is if people forget asking the questions about what those things are, all we get is the kind of the Saatchi sort of. You know, it's a brand. You know, it, there was lots of pop music and parties and sort of not enough drugs, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> and have you got anything coming up, Jake? Yes, I've got a retrospective at the tape. How have you? No. I'm just thinking. I've got a month to get that sort. <laughs> did you go to Did you go to Gilbert and George's retrospective there years ago? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I thought that was so fucking funny. I I went there with my mate, and it was fucking mobbed. Yeah. And I was I just by chance I walked past Gilbert and George, and I hadn't seen them for several years. He recognised me, and I got chatting to him, and I went. I said, I can't believe how busy it was because it was a great big party downstairs, weren't there? Yeah. yeah and he yeah. said, we had, I think he said we had 500 tickets, but we we photocopied them or we had them printed up and, and there's another thousand or something like that. And yeah, he yeah. was telling us this story. Yeah. He had his own tickets printed up. It was yeah, fucking funny. brilliant. The Hell Souvenir, by the time this comes out, I mean, they've probably all gone anyway, haven't they already? No, um, it's 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 limitless. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Hell, hell, hell is infinity. Hell, 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 hell is kind of beyond time, isn't it? Of course. You can't. There's no limit to. It's not. Yeah, you know, hell doesn't end. And where can they get them from? When when someone phoned up and they said, "Have you heard that?" You know, like the Momart fire. Honestly, when we heard that a hell was in, and the journalist phoned up and she said, "Is it true the hell's on fire?" <laughs> <laughs> Running around on the floor, going. <laughs> <laughs> was, no, it, was it used that remade Tracy's tent? Yeah. I thought that was a, I thought it was a proper because she didn't want to remake it, did she? But, but to be honest, it wasn't just about Tracy. I mean, I think uh, uh, Tracy was the person that was kind of like widely sort of covered as being a person who was so appalled by the burning of her work, which you know, I kind of understand. But from our point of view, you know, obviously we're going to go in heavy on anything like that because of it's kind of like we're going to yeah, obviously that's kind of that's 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 kind of our sort of. It's like a sort of gravy, isn't it? We're going to love that. But I think the 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 the, the, the conceptual, you know, wider ranging project was that we wanted to make everything that had burned. So we started with traces, and then after that, we just thought this is just a stupid. Because I saw it. I don't. I can't remember where I saw it. Yeah. It, was, it was showing somewhere. I don't know where it's been shown. Uh, maybe. Do you see it in Hastings? Maybe. It, or... it might have been actually. It may have been. 
Yeah. You know, I think, again, I think people have sort of, I don't think it was, it wasn't really a personal attack on, on Tracy in as much as. Oh, I didn't see it as that when I, when I saw it. It's been a personal attack on everyone in terms of the fact that we were going to make everyone's work, which were then have annulled or or just sort of cancelled out the kind of the misery and the sentimentality that people were having about their art burning, despite the fact that actually we lost the biggest amount. Yeah. Which we didn't know at the time. We were laughing at everyone else's work. Don't <laughs> <laughs> saying you've just actually got the big Jay Jay Joplin phone from White Cube, and he was like, "We've been up there in the car to watch it burn because it was just up the road from the studio." Which is kind of like you know the karma that getting in a car and driving up. I think that maybe the work wasn't actually even in. Because none of it belonged to you, though, did it? No, 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 no. It belonged to Sarchi. It was obviously his insurance, you know. But. um yeah, we went up there and looked at it and sort of thought, this is really funny, all that art burning, you know. <laughs> and we came back down and got a phone call saying, well, Jay, well, um, you know, very sad to inform you that uh, hell is in there. like, oh, shit. There's <laughs> you throwing unlit bottles of petrol onto the <laughs> fire. Drove back up going... Jake, <laughs> <laughs> um, where can anyone find what you're doing, be it Online on, Google. on social media. <laughs> on Google, yeah. Just put uh, in Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was before we started recording. It's, it's funny, though, isn't it? It's funny if you think about it. Like, all the, the, the thing about sort of Cameron's coming to my exhibition, this fucking Rishi Sunak liking Death's Head fucking Cummings trying to nick the work from number 10. It's sort of like, what's brilliant about it is they've sort of unwound everything I've been trying to do to them. You know, yeah. like everything I've done about sort of like, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like they've done a better job on me than I've done on them. Yeah, what you've done to, what you've done to Tracy Emin's tent and Hitler's yeah. paintings they've done to your fucking career. <laughs> Just by associating themselves with them. They'll oh change their, their logo from the oak tree to the to the smiley face, that, wouldn't that they? Thing, well, that thing on, on uh, I put up on Instagram was a, was a legit kind of journalist question. Well, how do you feel about Rishi Sunak liking Death Double Death's Head? It's like Death's Head, right? <laughs> you, I mean, it's like what? What do you think I think about? It? What do you think about? <laughs> yeah. it? You're a journalist, have a oh, read of the words you've just what, sent me. <laughs> connecting the dots. Rishi Sunak likes a sculpture that's got the word Death's Head in it. What the fuck? Why are you not writing? Rishi Sunak is a Nazi, you know. Brilliant. Love it. So they can find you on Jake Chatwoman. Yeah. On Instagram. And Heimlich is yours, isn't it? Heimlich Productions. Yeah. Yeah. Heimlich.co.uk. That's or but but Jake and Dinos is is, is up. That's uh, that's the joint. Uh, you know. Okay, mate. Well, thank you for your time. I, uh, I'm sorry I took up so much of it, but oh, I did enjoy it. We don't talk for hours. Been trying to, um, yeah, put this together for a little while. So I'm sorry about. I've just been a bit, um, you know. And and just just to mention it, that it come about our conversation after a conversation I had with Maeve Doyle about eighteen months ago or something, wasn't it? And yeah, you did you listen to her show? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, you yeah. heard me mentioning that uh, it was Jake and Dinos were one of those four that didn't... Wasn't I trying to call in or something? I don't know. I think I probably was. Yeah, and, and I got a message off you afterwards saying, well, whatever, but we put yeah. it down to Dinos read the letter and threw it in the bin, the bastard. <laughs>
Yes, exactly. No, I would have answered. I would have answered definitely. Answer everything. Well, I I was. I, 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 no, I got a letter once from um, this guy. It was it was an amazing little letter, tiny little letter, tiny little writing. It says, and it said it had a little address that topped him with that, and it said. I find myself in an artless society. And I was thinking, society? What does society mean? Like, <laughs> HMP Winchester. I was like, uh-oh. Superb. <laughs> who knew who they were writing to? You know, I could have been some psychotic rapist murderer, you know? Oh, what, are you not? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, well, I'm not psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, mate. Well, I think I'll leave it there. Yeah. I'll probably yeah. end up yeah. back in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jake. Nice one. Uh, hope to bump into you listen, in real watch, life soon. Watch the Sensation program. We'll do. do volume two. All right. Cheers, yeah. my old mate. I'll see bye. you later. Bye. Thank you, mate. Ta-da. Brilliant. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means obviously we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. Or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.